Hi, I'm Beatrice. Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly love the children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because they are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of days, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word of the Lord. So John G. Patton is standing before a council of church elders and they're criticizing him and questioning him and attempting to dissuade him from setting sail with his new wife to the New Hebrides, which we now call Vanuatu, to preach the gospel to the unreached people there. The only other missionaries to attempt to reach the people of New Hebrides were martyred and eaten by the local people. Yet, God was at work there, and only a few years after the work of those missionaries, one of the murderer's sons was preaching the gospel and trying to build a church. John G. Patton had a, a fruitful ministry in Scotland, but now this young man and his wife had a burning passion to reach the people of the New Hebrides with the good news of Jesus. And so they applied to be sent out as missionaries but they were met with criticism and opposition in the face of such huge risk. And so now Patton stood before the church elders and they urged him not to throw his life away on a distant island. Finally, one of the elders exclaimed, you will be eaten by cannibals. To which Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, 
You are advanced in years now, and your body is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. What makes a person live like that? What could inspire someone? What could inspire you or me to live like that? Only, only the gospel of Jesus. We're going to see tonight as we explore Ephesians 5 together how the gospel, the message of what God has done for us, powers us to live lives of God-glorifying holiness. So you and I, we, we live our lives in a, a river, a steady, an unrelenting river, a current that attempts to take us with it. It's a river of, of values and aspirations and, and media and content and fears and desires and pleasures. And, and this current, it constantly pulls us to put ourselves at the centre of our lives, to live for ourselves, to make decisions for ourselves, to live for our own good and our own pleasure. And you don't have to do anything to get pulled along by a current, right? In fact, to, to resist a current takes sustained effort. And this is the current that you and I live in every day of our lives. Yet a life that goes against the current of selfishness, a life of God-glorifying, self-denying holiness is exactly the life that Jesus calls us to. It's the call, it's the life that John G. Patton heard and followed and that God calls to us as well. That's the kind of life that flows from the gospel, right? Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, leaving behind the glories of heaven to become a human, to become one who served others and who gave up his life to pay the debt of sin that we were utterly unable to pay to God. He paid our debt. He died on the cross and then he rose again in victory, bringing new life, the dawn of a new reality, forming a new humanity, giving us a new way to be human, a way that, can, that begins in this life and continues into eternity with him. He made us his children, members of his family, heirs of all his riches. That, that gospel, that truth, that message is the one that Paul reminds us of right at the start of our passage. Have a look at, at verse 1 if you've got your Bible there in front of you teaches us that we are God's dearly loved children. Now, since becoming a parent myself, I've, I've come to grasp this truth of the gospel that we are God's dearly loved children more than I did before, I think. My, my two-year-old couldn't possibly grasp how much I love her, how, how consuming and constant and deep that love is. She doesn't understand that I would do anything for her, that my life is already transformed around her. But even though she can't grasp those things, she enjoys the benefits of them, right? 
And that's God's love for us. We are his dearly loved children. He has made us his children. That's the gospel which Paul anchors us to right at the beginning of our passage tonight. That's where we start. Verses 1 and 2. Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we are called to follow God's example. Follow God's example, it says, and walk in the way of love. That's the life, right, which flows from the gospel. Like, like rain in the desert gives birth to all kinds of new and hidden life. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus inevitably leads to, brings about new life in us, following God's example and walking in the way of love. Give everything in the few short days you have to God-glorifying holiness. That's the call of Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. Give everything in the few short days you have to God-glorifying holiness. Now, don't, don't say it if you know, but who knows who this person is? Hands up if you know who that person is. A few, a handful, perhaps some of the older people in the room have a better chance. <laughs> so this is Mary Donaldson. She's a girl from Tasmania. She was a vet. She was visiting Sydney one day and she went to a pub where she met a cute guy with a nice accent called Fred. And she and Fred got to know each other. They started dating. Mostly their dating was long distance, but sometimes Fred came out to Australia to visit her, though he had to do so in secret. After a while, Fred proposed and Mary said yes. And when she said yes to Fred, she knew that it would mean leaving behind Tasmania and her job as a vet. Because Fred was also known as Crown Prince Frederick, the future king of Denmark. Mary Donaldson became Crown Princess Mary of Denmark, Countess of Monzapat, and her new identity meant a whole new life. Mary had to leave behind her old life. She had to learn how to speak Dutch, how to walk and talk like a princess, how to live as a royal, how to use her new identity to serve the people of Denmark. Having been made Frederick's wife, she had to learn how to be who she already was, right? The day she married Prince Frederick, she became a princess, but then she had to learn how to be one, how to live as a princess. And that's kind of the task of the Christian life. Not to be a princess, sorry for those who would quite like that, but, but to be who we are. It's a central ethic in the New Testament, a key principle, be who you are. Be who you are. The New Testament says to us, you are a child of God, so live as a child of God. You are free, so live as people who are free. You are a new creation, so be new. You are righteous before God, so live a righteous life. You are holy, so be holy. It's, it's a distinctly gospel ethic, right? A grace-powered ethic, isn't it? You have already received the status, now live it out. 
it's, it's grace, not works. Right? You don't act holy until you reach a level to be made holy by God. No, you're made holy by God and then he calls you to live it out. Be who you are. That's the ethic of this passage tonight. There's some key truths about who we are that anchor us through this passage. We are God's dearly loved children, we've already seen. And we're going to see that we are God's holy people and that we are light. Be who you are. So if you've got your Bible there, have a look at verse 3 with me. And we're going to see this gospel ethic at work. Verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We are God's holy people, Paul says, and so we should live like it. There shouldn't even be a hint of unholiness because we are holy. My, my lawnmower broke down recently because rainwater had got into the petrol tank. Right? That, that impurity, that small amount of an unintended substance affected the petrol which it permeated and the petrol couldn't do its work anymore. Paul, Paul says to us, not even a hint of immorality because it's not fitting for holy people. And the church, the people that Paul was writing to in Ephesus here, they lived in a, a, a pluralistic and a promiscuous culture. Worship and sex everywhere around them. Ephesus was packed with countless gods and temples and shrines, religions. And Ephesus was full of sex. Sex had been largely removed from, from marriage. The pleasure of sex was to be explored and expressed with all kinds of people in all kinds of contexts and settings. Sex was even used in the worship practices and the temples of local gods. But Paul calls these Christians to be different to that. He calls us in a very similar town to be different to that because of who they are. Right? They are God's holy people. That means they've, they've been set apart to be holy that word means to be set apart. And holiness, it comes from God. It's derived from God. God is the one who is ultimately holy, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And at our salvation, when we become one with Christ, when we're drawn into the life of God, then we are made holy, we are set apart from this world for God. At our deepest being, the new creation in us, the part of us which will endure into eternity, we are holy, we're clean, we're pure. We're a reflection of who God is. We have already been made holy at our deepest being. But you, you might not always feel like that, right? I don't always feel like that. Because we're still in the be who you are chapter of our lives. Learning to live out the truth which defines who we are. Like learning to be a princess. 
So Ephesians 5 here calls us to live out who we are as God's holy people, to live out our holiness. Right? And it's a, it's a strong call. And this is unapologetic language from Paul here, right? Verses 3 to 5, no sexual immorality, no impurity, no greed, no obscenity, no foolish talk or coarse joking. Why? Verse 3, because they're out of place. They're not right for us. They're like rainwater in petrol. They're like dust in your eye. Your body instinctively flushes it out because it doesn't belong there and it hinders the eye. It damages the body. This picture, this is called an ermine, this cute and angry looking little guy here. The ermine has, has beautiful, clean, pure white fur. It's so beautiful that in history, kings and emperors and judges used ermine fur to line their robes. And the ermine needs his white fur to hide in the snow and to survive. And so he's desperately protective of his fur. He cleans it all the time. He never does anything that would risk getting it dirty. And because his fur is so beautiful, the ermine used to be hunted a lot. And ermine hunters, they would take cruel advantage of how determined the ermine is to stay clean. Instead of setting traps for him, they find his cave when he's out hunting and they rub filth all over the entrance to the cave. And then they set their dogs to chase him. The frightened, the ermine flees towards his home, his only place of refuge. And he finds it covered with uncleanness. And he will not spoil his white coat. Rather than go into the unclean place, he turns and he faces the dogs at the price of his life. He would rather die than be dirty. God's call to holiness on our lives is demanding. It's real, it's intense, it's ambitious, it's, it's non-negotiable, right? Be who you are. Be God's holy people. Well, not only are we God's holy people, we are light, the passage tells us. Verses 8 to 14 here. Have a look from, from verse 8 with me. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So be who you are, he says. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So with this, this be who you are ethic that we're seeing at play here, what can we see that God has made us? Who are we? We're light. He's made us light. He took us from being darkness and made us light. There are 11 kind of clustered, connected words in these verses, in this short section, to do with light, like the words darkness, light, secret, visible, illuminated, shine. Through the gospel, we're transformed from darkness to light. Notice, notice that it doesn't say we were in darkness, right? No, we were darkness. Without Christ, we were not only 
victims of sin and evil. We were perpetrators of sin and evil. Sin wasn't only in our environment, it was in our hearts. It's it's hard, but it's the truth of God's word and it makes the gospel shine all the more brightly. Christ left his throne to the point of humiliation and even death for us, not when we were crying out to help for him, but when we were set against him. We hated him and he loved us. We were shutting the doors, pulling the curtains to keep the light out. And he incarnated among us with light that dispelled the darkness from the room, from from our hearts. And so now we are light. Light is who we are. And what does light do? It illuminates, it shines. Imagine it was pitch black in here, right? And I turn the lights on. What, what does the darkness do? It flees, right? It, it dissipates. Verse 13, have a look there. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Light illuminates dark places and light even makes dark things into lights, right? Like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. What does it look like to be who you are if who you are is is light? What does it look like to live out being light? Well, imagine, imagine living in such a way that you had nothing to hide, truly nothing to hide. I'm, I'm serious, like think about what that would be like. Whatever the the things are in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your browser history, in your bank statement, the things that you keep secret, imagine living without the need to hide those things. What, What freedom that would be, right? What release that would be. No need to put this filter on how people see you and know you. Just you, who you really are, unfiltered, unashamed. That's what life in the light, life as light, offers us. That's what a life of holiness makes possible for us. Life as light. Before, before I proposed to Ronnie, my wife, I'd spent some time researching rings and diamonds online and visiting online jewelers looking for designs that I liked, things like that. And I tell you what, if Google knows that you're planning to propose, you get absolutely bombarded with the targeted advertising, right? Suddenly every banner ad on Facebook, every ad down the side of a Google search, every sponsored post was for rings or venues or honeymoon destinations. And so I had to start hiding my internet browser from Ronnie until after I had proposed. And I had to hide the ring as well once I had it. One time, I was looking at the ring with my housemates when Ronnie arrived unexpectedly, unexpectedly, and I had to just throw it down the back of the couch and hope that I could find it again later before anyone vacuumed. Living, living with that secret was stressful. 
And once I had proposed, once she had the ring, that the stress of those secrets just lifted off, right? Like taking a heavy bag off your back. And life as light, a life of holiness, it's a life without shame, without those secrets that weigh us down. Isn't that the life that you want? That's, That's why Paul's language is so strong here, right? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, Paul says. That's how far he wants us from the darkness, from the secrets. We don't even want a hint of sin in our lives because it drags us down. It loads us up with secrets. It hides little corners of our hearts in darkness that don't belong in us. You are light. Be who you are. Be who you are. We are God's dearly loved children. We are God's holy people. We are light. And so then from verses 15 through to 20, the last part of our passage, Paul urges God's people to be very careful then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Here's what he's saying. Holiness is the best use of the time we are given. Holiness is wisdom for these few short days that you have on earth. Country singer Kevin Welch, he's saying, there'll be two dates on your tombstone and all your friends will read them, but all that's going to matter is the little dash between them. Or as the prophet Gandalf said, All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. God God has given you, each of you, unique gifts and opportunities and passions. And more than that, he's made you his child. He's made you holy. He has made you light. So give everything you have in the few short days you have on this earth to God glorifying holiness. Mary Ann Robson married John G. Patton. 14 days later, they set sail together for the New Hebrides to preach the gospel. Mary left behind her own comfortable life in Scotland and instead gave herself to loving and serving the people of New Hebrides, offering medicine material help to locals, supporting John as he began his ministry. Ten months after arriving in the New Hebrides, Mary gave birth to a son whom they named Peter. Six weeks later, Mary contracted pneumonia and died, followed soon by her baby son. Mary Ann and Peter, they lived short lives, but they lived lives which brought great glory to God and which were marked by God glorifying holiness your life is is not defined by its length in years but by the glory it brings to God your life is not marked by its success or its achievement but by the glory it brings to God 
when Jesus called you, he called you into life to the full. You know what's not life to the full? Netflix binges, drunken nights you can't remember, video game addiction, studying just to please your parents or get ahead, scrambling up the corporate ladder. That's not life to the full. Those empty things will never bring you life. While you sit there watching your sixth episode of Bridgerton in a row, there are people just outside, desperately lost, who don't know the God that loves them. Our passage describes that kind of behaviour as foolish in verse 17. And it is, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to keep our eyes down on these little fleeting pleasures and concerns while our days on earth tick down to zero and eternity awaits. Give everything you have in these few short days to God-glorifying holiness. As verse 17 says, that is the Lord's will for you. The, the great revival preacher, Jonathan Edwards, who would go on to bring thousands of people to saving faith in Christ. At the age of 18, he wrote a series of 70 resolutions by which he would live his life. And my favourite, he writes, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. That's the way to live, right? Some of us here tonight are, are caught in foolish ways of living. Even though God has made us holy, has made us his dearly loved children, we still find ourselves living as if we weren't. If that's you, let God's word speak to you tonight. Hear God speak to you as he says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Come, come to life. Come to life to the full. Leave foolishness behind and walk in the way of love. Walk in the light where there's no secret part of yourself that you have to hide in the dark. At the, at the end of our service tonight, there's going to be a couple of Uni Church members available to pray with anyone who would like. Why don't you pray with them that God would empower you to be who you are? And leave foolish living behind. When, when Christ gave himself up for us, he drew us into something wonderful. He drew us into relationship with God himself and into a life for just a few short days in this life and then eternity and a life to come, into a life of God glorifying holiness let that be our lives I'm going to pray that it would be God you've made us your children you've made us holy you've made us light let us be who we are God let us live it out let us leave behind foolishness and live as light not hiding ourselves, not even hiding corners of ourselves in darkness, 
but living holy lives, God-glorifying lives in these few short days we have. Amen.